You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respects to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Oh, yeah. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Uh, It's Tuesday breakfast and it's just clocked over to 7am on the 21st of June. You're joined in the studio by me, Genevieve. I've got Fung, Carnegie and Jasmine. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Morning. How is everyone doing this morning? Better having learned that today is winter solstice. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. It is exciting. I don't know what it is about winter. I feel like it's the hump of the year. It is. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a great description. No, I think that's exactly right. And I feel like it's a bit witchy. Yeah. Always. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Spooky vibe. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know what else is exciting for me personally? Tell us. Um... Some new Pokemon have been released, and there's one called Lechonk, and it's just this chonky pig, and I love him. Wait, what? Yeah, his name is legitimately Lechonk. Wow. He's a chonky pig. So what does that mean when new Pokemon are released? It's like a new, you know how there's like Pokemon Sun and Moon, Pokemon, there's like all the different waves of Pokemon, so there's like... um, Different generations, Mm -hmm. and so now there's a new generation. How often... Does this new gen? I'm not sure. Not up? not too often. Yeah. Um, but the last few, the names were really going downhill of the <laughs> Pokemon, and I was losing sleep over it. Um, but they're redeeming themselves. This How is, good is Lechonk? This, this is Nintendo's um, winter solstice <laughs> present <Exactly>. for you. <laughs> yeah. um, and the internet is hoping that it evolves into Lithic. Oh my god! Just unlike I think it'd be knowing, knowing the power of the internet. It probably will, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. There'll be some sort of internet referendum. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's discuss what's coming up. Uh, it's a huge show. Dare I say, <laughs> jam-packed you, show. You said it. <laughs> um, a huge show coming up today. So first up at quarter past seven, we'll be um, playing an interview that I had with Joanna Bossi, who is a curator at um, Bayside Gallery in Brighton. And um, we had a chat about Helen, uh, sorry, Ellen Jose, who was an incredible Indigenous artist here and who lived in Black Rock for many years, also a radical activist, social justice campaigner, and a huge supporter of 3CR. And um, is survived by her partner, Dr. Joe Toscano, who we all know here at 3CR and we talked about um, her work, her legacy as an artist and also um, the award that's been uh, created in her name. So the Ellen Jose Art Award for Young Women. Um, so that's coming up first. After that, we'll, um, I'm going to be speaking with another curator, Shivanjani Lal, 
who is a twice-removed Fijian-Indian-Australian artist and curator. Um, she has recently curated an incredible exhibition at Footscray Community Arts showcasing contemporary South Asian artists and photographers. Um, so we'll be talking about that as well as what informs Shivanjani's work. Cool. And then we have another interview with Dr. Emma Russell. Yeah. Um, so Dr. Emma Russell from La Trobe University is a senior lecturer in crime justice and legal studies. Um, and she was the lead researcher on the recently released uh, Gendered Injustice Report, which has been published by the Fitzroy Legal Service. So she'll be on the show this morning to discuss its findings and recommendations. And then coming out at 8 o'clock, it's very exciting, we've got our first live in-studio guest um, for a while, years maybe, Um, Will Strack, who is Acting Secretary at the Victorian Trades Hall Council, is coming in to talk to us about the Vic government's um, recent announcement of an additional $9 billion investment into early childhood education, and she'll be telling us about what this means for Victorian workers, but especially for women. Yeah, it's a huge developing story. Um, And just to round out today's show, I'll be speaking to Manal Shiab, who is a Muslim Australian community leader and faith-based counsellor. Manal is running a webinar later on today called Preventing and Responding to Family Violence, a Faith Leaders Practice Guide and Toolkit, which is also in collaboration with YR Victoria. All right, well, we'll be right back with some news headlines right after this. Good morning and good afternoon, listeners. It's on again. After three years, the mighty concrete gang pull-up. Monday, July 11th, down in the Old St Kilda, 14 Fitzroy Street at the Cross. The concrete gang pull-up, 11am in the morning, onwards. $20 ticket can get you a goonsie. 20 bucks gets you a ticket in the raffle, bit of food and entertainment from the great Phil Parra band. Drinks at bar prices, but it also gives you a chance to win a uh, $500 voucher in the door price. So make sure you get your ticket. It's going to be bigger than Texas. We're all going to be there, make some money for 3CR, keep them on air and keep going on. And as we say, dare to struggle, dare to win. If you don't fight, you lose. The Concrete Gang, Monday, July the 11th, 11am at the Cross, 14 Fitzroy Street, St Kilda. Be there. We faced deregistration, it backfired in the face. We're not fooled by arbitration, we won't stay in our place. We hit the bosses hard and fast to win and keep our game. 3CR Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. 8.55am. Tune in and listen up. You're on Tuesday Breakfast and we're going to take you through some news headlines this morning. Um, Some news headlines from Nigeria. Uh, 35 Nigerian teenage girls have just been rescued from a child trafficking ring. They were aged between 14 and 17, and they've been held captive and forced into sex work. Um, Some girls have been impregnated, so their babies could be sold off, and four of the rescued are currently pregnant. Three suspects have been arrested, and the girls are being handed over to Nigeria's National Agency for the Prohibition of Trafficking in Persons. 
And this comes after a child trafficking syndicate was uncovered just last month in a different state after it was discovered a baby was sold for approximately $850. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, very disturbing. Uh, in also disturbing news, um, FINA, which is the world's govern- governing swimming body, has voted to restrict the participation of trans women in elite women's competitions. They're instead creating a new open category for trans women athletes to compete in as a part of its new policy. This has never been done in sport before, so it's going to set a precedent. Um, and, of course, there is a lot of backlash. LGBTQI plus advocacy groups in sport um, have condemned the decision, saying it's discri- discriminatory, harmful and unscientific, saying sport needs to include all women to be truly inclusive. Um, transgender men, however, are fully eligible to compete in men's swimming competitions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Um, and in really great news, Mabel Blair, who um, did recent uh, TV show on Amazon Prime, is about. Um, she helped inspire a league of their own. Um, has come out at age ninety-five, wow. which is just the greatest thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, happening today, um, Tuesday, twenty-first of June, from nine thirty to one p.m. Uh, there's a snap rally happening outside Parliament House at Spring Street in the city. It's being organised by a coalition of groups, including the Victorian Forest Alliance, um, and they're rallying this morning to call on MPs to reject proposed new laws um, that will penalise um, citizens who want to, um, I guess, help protect native forests. Um, so... Uh, just to give you a bit of a summary, there was a great, actually there was a great segment on Monday breakfast yesterday, but just to give you a bit of a summary, um, the Victorian government's dangerous anti, new anti-protest laws <clears throat> are set to be debated in the lower house this week. The bill is set to criminalise peaceful um, forest protests with heavy penalties of $21,000 in fines or 12 months imprisonment, ban people from being in state forests and give quote-unquote, authorised officers, dangerous stop and search powers. Um, And it will also prevent First Nations traditional owners from using peaceful protests to protect sacred country. So if you are keen to get out there this morning, that's happening at 9.30am outside of Victorian Parliament House. Cool. And... For those that were tuning in last week, you would have known it was Radiothon week last week. Um, thank you again so much to all the people that donated throughout the week as well. We very much appreciate um, all the support. Uh, we still need more support, though. If you didn't get a chance to donate during last week's Radiothon, you can still donate. Uh, you can donate online on 3cr.org.au uh, slash donate. Uh, or you can call us uh, on 94198377. Um, or if you loved, we loved receiving all your messages as well. And <laughs> we know yeah, it's... send us a message this yeah. morning. <laughs> we on. know it's unique to Radiothon, but it was very uh, heartwarming to yeah. see that people listen to us. <laughs> 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 listen to us just talk. Um Every morning, every Tuesday morning. Um, so you can message in on zero four double eight eight oh nine eight 
double five. Um, and every donation over $2 is tax deductible and it's nearly tax time. Um, so yeah. All right. Well, yeah, we're going to go into a track now. Um, so this one is by Seba or Seba. I'm not sure. Um, they're a new anonymous project that blends house music with exciting new sounds and ideas. And this is their super feel good track. Must be love featuring electric fields.
Um, that was Must Be Love by Seba featuring Electric Fields. Ellen Jose was a pioneer in Australia's urban Indigenous art movement, as well as a radical activist and social justice campaigner. She was also a huge supporter of 3CR and is survived by her partner, Dr Joe Toscano, who hosts Anarchist World This Week every Wednesday morning. Yesterday, I spoke with Joanna Bossi, curator at the Bayside Gallery in Brighton, about the Ellen Jose Art Award. The Ellen Jose Memorial Foundation is providing a $15,000 non-acquisitive award to a women um, visual artist aged 18 to 35 years working in any medium. It's managed by Bayside Gallery and the Ellen Jose Art Award for Young Women is a partnership between the Foundation and Bayside City Council and aims to provide support to young women artists in the early stages of their career. Joanna, thank you so much for joining us on Tuesday Breakfast today. Um, just wanted to start by asking you more about Bayside Gallery. Can you tell us where it is and, yeah, what exhibitions you have on during the year? Yeah, sure. So we're located at the Brighton Town Hall um, in Brighton and we're the Bayside City Council's run gallery. So we run a program of um, national and of sometimes in international artists as well as a really strong component of local content. So it's a bit of a mixed bag, I guess, but something that we, we really try and make it relevant to our community and the kind of the issues and the themes that Bayside's are interested in. Um, but something that is super exciting for us um, that's coming up for the next show is the inaugural Ellen Jose Art Award for Young Women. And that's something that really does have a beautiful link back to Bayside um, because Ellen was a Bayside, you know, she lived in Bayside for over 25 years. So the project, um, you know, is, is something that's designed to celebrate Ellen and her life and legacy whilst also supporting young women artists in the early stages of their career. So it's, it's something that's, yeah, got both the local and also the national focus. So that's really exciting. Yeah, so for some of our listeners here in 3CR, they might um, know that Ellen Jose was a big supporter of the station and um, and uh, her husband, Dr Joe Toscano, hosts the show on 3CR every week. Um, but could you tell us a bit more about her and her contributions to the art world? Yeah, sure. So Ellen, being an Indigenous artist, one of sort of the earliest um, sort of urban-based Indigenous artists was really... Uh, fundamental in establishing an art practice that wasn't kind of defined by her cultural identity and something she was really passionate about was this idea of making art and being an artist without those um, those definitions being imposed on you. So she was always experimenting with her practice, um, definitely tackling issues, you know, very political um, and hard-hitting issues through, throughout her work, but doing it in a way that was really personal to her. So, for example, she, um, she looked at the, the history of Indigenous um, participation in the war and she made a series about that and she also tackled kind of um, Keith Windshuttle at, at one point with a major body of work looking at, you know, the, the whitewashing of Australian history. Um, but, but throughout it all was always this really beautiful, soft and gentle approach that she had. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, those of you who knew Ellen, unfortunately I, I didn't ever get to meet her, but 
that's something that's really struck me is that she had this sort of fierce strength but this softness as well and she was able to sort of communicate I think a really strong message across a lot of different platforms and make a really meaningful contribution through that approach and it's something I think the award also picks up on in focusing on you know younger women artists mm-hmm. um, because I think that's really their their unique um, contribution in their strength is that they, you know, a lot of them have really strong and passionate ideas, but, you know, they communicate it in in a way that um, is very inclusive and Mm -hmm. very um, welcoming and, and, you know, has a a softness, you know, a strength, but also a softness. Um, And, yeah, I I, I think that's, that's a really nice way to kind of sum up Ellen's work and her contribution, but also kind of the importance of the award as well. Yeah, amazing. Um, so, yeah, tell us more about this award. Um, like you said before, it's it's for young women artists. And I think during a time when the arts, um, I guess people in the community who really care about the arts know how important it is to our society and our community. Um, and we've seen in the last few years with um, cuts to the art sector but also during Mm. COVID that often the arts is pushed aside even though it's such an integral part of our community um so yeah could you tell us more about this award and why it's so important to champion young um Mm. and especially young women artists at this time yeah well I think um certainly the vision for the Ellen Jose Memorial Foundation is to enable artists to to be artists you know and and um there as you say there isn't a lot of financial support or even career support for artists so when joe came to us with came to bayside city council with the idea of the award it was really in the spirit of recognizing that artists and and women artists in particular you know have a lot of hurdles to overcome if they want to actually become a professional artist mm-hmm. and that's something that you know, for Ellen, she experienced in her life and, you know, with the foundation, um, it's something she wanted to to try and sort of fix in a small way for, for a small group of artists. And something that was really important to me was, you know, trying to enable the award to benefit as many people as possible. You know, it is a prize, so there's a $15,000 amount you know amount of money that is is going to be awarded to one artist Mm -hmm. but we also wanted to ensure that the other finalists within the award so the six finalists um from across Australia that they also had you know opportunities as well so they they get a substantial artist fee they exhibit their work you know at Bayside Gallery there's a fantastic catalogue that accompanies the show and we're going to do a lot of promotion and publicity for their work so it was a way to kind of say yes it's an award and there's a you know, a sort of a value judgment that's taking place. Um, but at the same time, we we recognise that the work of all artists is important. And so we're, we're trying to kind of balance those two outcomes and the necessary um, kind of eventuality, I guess, that one person is given that $15,000 prize, which hopefully will really sort of change their life, at least, you know, in the short term by enabling them to stop working or at least cut back on, you know, the day job and spend more time in the studio. Um, And the other really nice thing about it is it's not acquisitive. So normally, you know, often there's an exchange. So there's a prize money, but then, you know, a a work goes into a collection. So the artist sort of loses that work as part of that transaction. So that's not happening in this case. So it really is just sort of a straight out, 
you know, we've got some money that we're able to to give to somebody, and um, we just hope that to support them in that in that way financially, and you know, by promoting the work. And we've got two amazing judges um, for the inaugural award as well. One being Professor Marcia Langton, um, and the other being Max Delaney, who is director of the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art ACA in Melbourne. So, you know, it's 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 that's really know, the, exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting, and and you know the. The work of all of the people who entered, you know, got to, gets to be seen by curators and, and other people as well. So that's also a really a nice aspect of it um, mm. as well. So the, the award itself will be triennial. So this is the first year. And then we hope to um, do it again in another three years for, for three iterations. So that's the current plan with the, the partnership with, the, with Ellen's Memorial Foundation. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I really like what you said about still, um, you know, there is one winner um, mm. competition, but there's still that opportunity for other artists to to showcase their work and really show off their hard work and, and their style and their profession yeah. as well. And um, And I think a lot of people, yeah, need to remember the collaborative community aspect about art. Um, it can be very, you know, focused on the individual, but um, I imagine people gather their inspirations from other artists and, and the world around them. So it's sort of, yeah, it's really nice for there to be that community aspect to this award and this exhibition as well. Yeah, and, and I think too just focusing on young women, like it's a really timely award in that sense as well, that there has been a shift, there is a shift happening within the art scene where, you know, there's been some major exhibitions at the National Gallery of Australia, for example, that are really, you know, pulling artists' work forward mm. and trying to address this, you know, imbalance that's occurred, you know, over a century or more where the work of female artists has not really been um, championed or, or collected or recognised um, as much as the, the male artists. So, you know, the world being how it is at the moment, it's it's, you know, incredibly fractured and... You know, everything's very, um, you know, stressful and there's a lot of anxiety. And, and I think looking to the work of these young women who are creating some, like, mind-blowingly strong and incredibly accomplished work, and that that stands for the whole pool of applicants. You know, we had 281 applicants from across, yeah, across Australia apply for this award. And, you know, the shortlist is only down to six artists because that's the space that we have, you know, to exhibit their work. But I was just absolutely blown away by the quality of the work of this generation of young women. And I think it just, it gave me so much hope, I have to say. Mm. Like, it really gave me a lot of um, hope for the future because I thought, wow, if this is the next generation of, of, of you know, young artists coming through, then maybe some of them will end up, you know, in politics <laughs> or, or just at least making, um, you know, making work that really communicates important things um, that really will drive society in, in a better direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the fact that it's happening at a local gallery as well, like a, um, yeah, I guess interact more with, with smaller communities, yeah. maybe get people from other parts of the state, other parts of the country coming into different communities within within Melbourne, within Victoria is really great too, not yeah. just focusing on those big sort of landmark galleries as well. Yeah, that's it. You know, it's the sort of the ACT Local movement um, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that, you know, post-lockdown that, that people appreciate too are the facilities and the opportunities within their sort of local environment. Um, so, 
yeah, I mean, absolutely, I hope that Bayside has come. I'm sure they will, but also that the, the award will bring other people um, across Melbourne and the state to to see these amazing artists work because, yeah, they're, like, they're extraordinary. We've got everything from, you know, video installation through to large-scale um, monoprint landscape pieces by this artist, Annika Roman, who's based in Canberra. Um, we have... Yeah, Nadia Hernandez, who's recently relocated from Sydney to Melbourne, who's a Venezuelan artist, and she's making some really fantastic, um, bright and colourful and quite joyous paintings and textile pieces, but also they're sort of highly politicised mm. in a really personal way as well. So something that's really emerged strongly um, and what I talked about at the beginning of the interview is this kind of, this, this personalised um, messaging that's really coming across in I think in a lot of art that women make because w yeah we find that that vulnerability is a show of strength I think yes. more so and we sort of embrace that part of um, of ourselves and 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 perhaps are more interested in fleshing out the emotional and you know that the, the, the other sides of intimacy um, that you know that we experience and then you know when you've got artists like Marina Benini as well as another one who's an Indigenous artist um, who's made this incredible video about um, looking at sort of westernized knowledge systems and and collecting practices as opposed to um, Indigenous ways of knowledge and and keeping culture alive and it's it's really sophisticated um, video that sort of contrasts these two ways of dealing with cultural sort of material or material culture um just you know she's only 26 and she's making you know these incredibly emotive and moving works that are also intellectually on point you know it's just yeah it's just really <laughs> it's very exciting to see and and as I said you know I think you know if this is what we've got that's coming forward then then I feel really hopeful about the future yeah and just to finish our interview for today, could you tell us when people can come to Bayside Gallery to um, check out this current exhibition, to look at all these amazing works that these young women have done, and also tell us when the prize will be announced? Yes. So the show opens on um, Saturday the 2nd of July and it runs through to the 28th of August and the opening is on Saturday from 2pm and the announcement will be, um, I think, at 2.30. So, yeah, so we'll, we'll announce the, the winner of the inaugural Helen Jose Art Award um, on Saturday the 2nd, yeah, which which will be fantastic. And But as I said, you know, it's, it's wonderful to celebrate the winner, but we really are celebrating all of the finalists with this show. And we're also running a, an artist panel on Sunday the 3rd, where at least three of our artists will be speaking at that. Um, so if your listeners are interested to come to that, that's at 2pm 2, 2 on Sunday the 3rd, and they can get some more details from our website. But yeah, that's a, it's a great opportunity to just come along and you know, have an opportunity to hear from these artists and, and sort of have a chat with them in person. Awesome. Well, it sounds like Ellen Jose was just an incredible artist, activist and um, member of the Bayside community. It's great to yeah. know that her legacy lives on with, yeah, absolutely. And with these new generations of young um, women artists. Uh, thank you so much, Joanna, for coming on Tuesday Breakfast and telling us all about this. We'll definitely um, pop the links to the gallery and the exhibition in our show notes later this morning. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. 
That was a conversation I had with Joanna Bossi, curator from Bayside Gallery, about Helen, Ellen Jose, her legacy and the art award that has been established in her honour. Six shortlisted artists will be invited to display in an exhibition at Bayside Gallery um, showing uh, 2nd of July until the 28th of August um, and the $15,000 prize will be awarded at the official opening of the exhibition on Saturday the 2nd of July. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, the voice of the community. 3CR Community Radio, giving the voice to the community since 1976. Shivanjani Lal is a twice-removed Fijian-Indian-Australian artist and curator. As an artist living between Australia and the UK, she is tied to a long history of familial movement. Her work uses personal grief to account for ancestral loss and healing. Shivanjani has recently curated an exhibition at Footscray Community Arts called A Bell Rings Across the Valley that showcases five photographers from across South Asia and its diaspora exploring complex experiences of identity, heritage and change. Welcome to the show, Shivanjani. Um, it's really lovely to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. Um, can you start by maybe just giving us a little bit of background about yourself and um, your art? Um, yeah, so I actually started making uh, work probably, well, I, I sort of studied art. Um, but really, I think for me, um, my art practice begins in photography and, and I, I sort of um, have, well, not jokingly, but like I feel like one of my favourite photographers is my dad. And so, um, and he's not like a trained photographer. He just really liked taking photographs. And, and um, but he's always telling me that like, you know, when you take a pers- like a photo of a person, you should take it of the whole body. And, and um, I always really liked that. But my dad is very little and he meant just make sure you take it from like the head to the toes. Mm-hmm. Um um, but I, I think there's something about this idea of trying to capture essences of people that I was really curious about. And then um, I studied art in Melbourne and, and I was really excited about sort of, um, this way or this this language that I could use to kind of share knowledge and sort of potentially build empathy. Um, and I guess like my visual art and my curatorial practices are about sort of unpacking different types of histories, but also giving space for people to share ideas. Um, and so, yeah, I, those are the things that I'm kind of interested in and also sort of sort of creating different types of networks that people can access things through. And I just think um, uh, I, I lived in India in between 2017 and 2018 and I just, that experience was really generous and generative and um, I'm always looking for ways to kind of um, uh, continue those relationships and um, support those relationships in different ways and I think um, uh, it's really, like in Australia there are not a lot of specialists who uh who focus on South Asia, um, but it's nice to be able to contribute to that language because there's quite a growing South Asian community here, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the exhibition, uh, Bell Rings Across the Valley, is, you know, exactly that. Um, It's the work of five very different South Asian artists. Can you tell us a bit about the process of curating this exhibition and how you chose these artists? 
Yeah, so um, I got invited by Footscray Community Arts around this time last year to um, to sort of pitch an idea for an exhibition. And at that time, I was sort of in the middle of my masters, and um, I was living in the UK, and I wasn't, uh, you know, to be to be honest, I wasn't sure about um, whether or not I wanted to do it. But when they suggested a sort of theme of being human and also sort of a focus on South Asia, I got really excited. I really, um, I love um, photography and I'd never been given the opportunity to just curate pure photography. And so it was a nice opportunity for me to do that. And then I... I also really wanted to push away from, I guess, like a typical idea of what South Asia could be, which I feel like often is India-centric. Um, and so all of the artists in the show are, like there is an Indian artist, India Anthony, but also there's a Bangladeshi and a Pali and um, a Burmese artist in the show. And the, the um, South Asian diaspora artist, Devika um, is, you know, based in Australia and um, has Fijian roots. And so for me, like, it was a much um, broad definition of what South Asia could be. Um, and, and that was really exciting. And also what was also really exciting was that um, the pro- projects people were talking about were really speaking to things that people were experiencing also here in Australia. So Indy's work um, is a project that has been going for about four or five years now called Ceciliad and is a project that sort of responds to a moment in her personal life where she had been violated in public space and tries to remake it through this relationship with um, her collaborator, Cecilia. And um, so they're photographs of Cecilia, who's this sort of very gregarious 70-year-old woman um, in public space. And in these images, which began as like an Instagram post, um, she, she kind of reshapes this relationship to her public space. Um, and I think that that's really something wonderful. Like, there's something really wonderful about this relationship, but also it's sort of speaking to how do women feel safe in public. Yeah, and it's funny you mention um, that artwork in particular. It absolutely stands out um, amongst all of them with the, even the really big photos. And Cecilia herself is, like, absolutely striking. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I went to see the exhibition last week and it was really interesting to see it here in Melbourne. My background yeah. is Indian as well and so, you know, for me it was it felt almost out of context to see um, all these South Asian artworks in Footscray Community Arts, um, you know, because art space is still quite white and yeah. um, also you're exactly right, a lot of South Asian art is India-centric um, and so to see so many different um, talents from across the subcontinent was, yeah, like super interesting. I had a lot of feelings. Um, do you think it's important for, you know, non-South Asians as well to see art like this? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, uh, like, one of the things that I really struggled with learning art here in Australia is just how Eurocentric or American-centric it is. And so um, it's really, I think it's really important to kind of expand the view, the viewpoint that um, to make art is only through a Western gaze and um, 
or you know really a white gaze and and, and so for me um and I think also like when I was living in Melbourne like this is quite a while ago now but in 2008 there were all of these issues like there were all of these attacks on South Asian bodies and it was just it was really confronting and so like in some ways like um this like this like like it's important to sort of move like to see us as being visible in these spaces because it allows us to occupy them but also these like I guess also the other conversation that I'm trying to have is, is that we're not like Bollywood beautiful, like we can be like gregarious in the seventy. We can be like strange and standing on our bed. We can be like our elders stitched onto blankets, and we can be um, portraits that cover our faces. Like there's, like I think there's like like a complexity there that um, can kind of be, um, but that I think people don't want to acknowledge but it's actually really important because I think those conversations are going to happen anyway. Absolutely and you know the concept of the diaspora is changing um, constantly you know since we were young to now it's it's definitely morphed and changed. Um, How do you think art helps unpack these complex feelings or as you say on your website um, contribute to diasporic healing? I think it enables us to even begin these conversations. Like, I feel like um, certainly in my own sort of personal history, I feel like I know that I'm sort of putting things to the front that my parents wouldn't have conversations about, but, like, I'm very grateful to have them. Like, I think we're very grateful to have them with each other. And so I think... um, in some ways, like I hope that it's sort of like, like these are complicated things, and so sometimes we need like a softer entry point rather than hard history. Yeah. And so, like art is like a way to kind of mediate or meditate on those things um, and sort of unpack them like a tiny bit more slowly, but maybe in a more communal setting. Um, I guess I'm still trying to figure it out is what I'm trying to say. But I, I do think art is important and art has this capacity to help us feel. Um, and and I'm very curious about how where those feelings let us lead up towards. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, for one, am a big advocate for, you know, unpacking these complexities through art. Um, I think it's... Yeah. Exactly as you said, it helps you kind of unlock feelings almost. Um, yeah. Yeah, and give give you know it's a way of expression that, yeah, it, it, yeah it's it's unique in the way that you can express yourself through art. Um, can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and your work, as well as go see a bell rings across the valley? Um, I I guess I, I'm sort of at the moment I'm very digital, so you can find my website. It's just I think it's com. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> I'm also very bad at like um, putting myself forward, but I do have a show coming up in Albury um, in early August. So that's probably um, so uh, that's probably the next place that you will see. <laughs> see Amazing. Yeah. So um, Mama, the Murray Arts Museum, Albury is um, that's my next show of my own work. But you know, just 
if you're in Melbourne, definitely it's the last week of a bell rings across the valley. And, um, yeah, it's definitely worth spending time with. Absolutely. Um, we will link to your website as well as the FCA website for more information in our show notes later today. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Shivanjani. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. So that was artist and curator Shivanjani Lal talking to us about her work um, as well as the exhibition she's curated at Footscray Community Arts called A Bell Rings Across the Valley. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep community strong. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au, call the station on 03-9419-8377 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR, keep Keep community community strong. You're on Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. It is 7.45 a.m. We're going to go to a track now uh, by duo, musical duo Kinder, who are an Australian electronic dance uh, music duo from Sydney made up of sisters Brioni and Savannah Osai. This is their latest release, Yanko. She know what she after Make way for disaster You go fast, she goes faster She gon' sit on the cup car Always getting hotter She gon' get in the water Don't try bother to stop her Hey, she is ready To be sweaty Oh, hey, hey, hey Look at her
That was Kinder's new song, Yenko. Dr. Emma Russell is a senior lecturer in crime, justice and legal studies in the Department of Social Inquiry at La Trobe University. Emma researches in the fields of critical criminology and punishment and society with specializations in gender, sexuality and queer criminology, sensory criminology and carceral abolition studies. She's the lead researcher on the Gendered Injustice Report um, coming out of Fitzroy Legal Service and is on the show this morning to discuss its findings and recommendations. Welcome to the show, Emma. Thanks so much for having me. Um, So can we start by just um, talking a little bit about the report? Um, Can you tell our listeners what the report actually seeks to address about policing and criminalization of victim survivors of domestic and family violence? Yeah, sure. So we actually set out to investigate the ways in which women who are experiencing a range of social, health uh, and other economic and legal issues end up with criminal legal charges, like the ways that they end up in the criminal legal system. And um, perhaps pretty unsurprisingly, what we found was that the biggest theme um, for women who are criminalised is experiencing domestic and family violence. So that then became the focus of the report. Um, We interviewed 11 uh, legal and social service practitioners who work with criminalised women, and we also reviewed the case files of 108 women who had criminal legal charges at Future Legal Service. And across both of those data sets, we found that domestic and family violence experiences um, were the strongest themes. And particularly issues around the policing of family violence um, when women, uh, especially when they're experiencing um, different forms of social marginalisation, often the policing responses they're receiving Um, are really harmful and um, create new problems like criminalisation. Yeah, um, and speaking of, you know, um, the different kind of social and health uh, intersections that come into play here for women, um, one of the things that the report discusses is lack of housing. And your report found that prisons actually are being used in some cases as safe housing for women and are in some cases claiming to be trauma-informed, which is quite disturbing. Can you talk to us a bit more about this? Yeah, so um, one of the biggest campaigns over the last couple of years around um, women's imprisonment has been the Homes Not Prisons campaign that I'm sure um, you and your listeners are aware of. Um, And yeah, you know, that call is, is really plain that the government continues to invest in imprisonment for women, so continues to pour um, millions and millions of dollars into expanding and upgrading the maximum security women's prison um, in the western suburbs in Melbourne, um, while at the same time um, really neglecting the importance of public housing so that um, you know, women might have other options when they're experiencing housing precarity and poverty and domestic and family violence. Um, instead, what we see is that the prison comes to be framed as this place that can be a kind of stopgap, um, a place that, you know, will never close its doors or will never turn people away um, as they continue to add more beds, 
they will fill them. And increasingly, we see that um, the language of prisons being therapeutic for women or being trauma-informed is being adopted into correctional policies in a way that really glosses over the traumatising effects of imprisonment and the ways in which the violence of being incarcerated will reverberate out, um, you know, long past any period of incarceration to affect women's families and communities. Um, And so I think it's a really kind of insidious development that um, you see the women's prison coming to be used as as a kind of women's shelter because... Um, you know, magistrates sitting in the court see that women are in these really um, often kind of dangerous or precarious situations in the community. And instead of being able to find community solutions, um, because there's been such a, a divestment and lack of investment in uh, community support, instead um, the prison comes to serve as this um, so-called solution that, of course, only creates more harm. Yeah, and for, you know, an institution that is actually causing harm and trauma to then turn around and say that it's trauma-informed and safe is, um, yeah, it's quite a dystopian situation to be in. Um, Another factor um, in criminalisation from the report is misidentifying the woman as the perpetrator in a situation of domestic and family violence. Um, Can you tell us a bit more about MisID and why it happens? Yeah, um, so the problem of of misidentification we found was occurring for both, um, yeah, women that were appearing or that were seeking future legal services um, uh, support um, for criminal legal charges and um, it was really commonly discussed amongst the legal and social practitioners that we interviewed. I guess one thing that we've found with misidentification is that I think the way that people often assume that it occurs is that, um, you know, you have this entirely um, innocent victim um, of domestic and family violence and um, the police appear and they charge the wrong person. Um, But often I think what seems to happen is that police attend really quite chaotic situations where um, women, for instance, who might be experiencing a trauma response or who will be um, really unsettled and experiencing um, significant psychological distress, they may have even um, used different forms of violence that might be legally categorised as assault as a kind of defensive response Um, to the violence that they're experiencing in an intimate partnership. And so then, um, you know, they they come to be charged when really they're the person in most need of protection. Um, And this is particularly the case um, when women are experiencing um, particular disadvantages or marginalisation, like um, if they've got mental illness, if they are an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander woman or... Um, a migrant woman from a non-English speaking background, all those kind of different social positions will mean that those women, um, and also I'm including trans women here as well, will be less able to communicate to the police in a way that makes sense to them and fits within their kind of 
um, really patriarchal, um, you know, racialized image of what an ideal victim is. And so then they can end up being charged or being put on a, um, an intervention order, so being the respondent on an intervention order, which then makes them vulnerable to being criminalised. Um, I think the other thing that can happen is that when women have a prior history of um, criminal charges or if, they've, if they're using illicit substances, for example, police might be called in to respond to a domestic and family violence incident but then because that situation is quite complex and two people are saying different things, it's much easier for police to do what they do best, which is, you know, police, um, and then say, OK, well, what is straightforward here is that, you know, you've got some um, illicit substances, so I'll charge you with drug possession. Um, so it's really quite a um, complex situation um, and a problem that's really pervasive, but... Um, I think it's important to know that um, at the launch last week, some of the women with lived experience that were speaking on the panel from Homestop Prisons, Sarah and Nina, um, were really highlighting that, you know, what we don't want to see with the circulation of this idea of misidentification is the reproduction of ideas of perfect victims. So, you know, often there are no perfect victims when we're talking about domestic and family violence and... Um, yeah, we need to be to be careful to make sure that we are still humanising people and aware of the kind of messy lived realities that people are navigating. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, with the um, idea of a perfect victim, that often ties into whiteness um, and it doesn't apply necessarily to women of colour or Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander women. Um, and like you said, you know, it doesn't fit neatly into a narrative. And, yeah definitely good to have that on the radar and avoid it um avoid repeating that um what are some of the findings of the report and what are the recommendations moving forward yeah so um the findings that we make um you know we say that these aren't um entirely new findings these are things that people in the community have been calling for for a long time especially um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities and organisations and um, women and gender diverse people with lived experience have been making these calls. So we want to make sure that, um, you know, we're ampl 